listening to The Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Batt. The Prime Minister of Sweden visited Washington today, and my tiny little nipples went to France. And Bruce Nolan. Yo, brethren, what up with thee? Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of The Nick and Nolan Show. Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. And along with me, as always... Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. That's right. And the band is back together again. We're putting the band back together. Feels so good. Both of us... I haven't seen you in like two weeks. I know. I don't think actually we've seen each other since we recorded before the Dolphins game. So, didn't see each other after that... You know, after those shenanigans and didn't see each other during the Eagles game. Also shenanigans. Also shenanigans. And now here we are. You know, things are different. The last time I saw you, you were in a completely different stage of life. Different stage of life. Yeah. Have a kid now. That's why I wasn't here last week. For those of you who who may not know, had a son. His name is Sibio Gonzo. And Gonzo is absolutely after the Muppet. The great Gonzo's most amazing feat ever. So you can uh, give me some points on that one. And Sibio is a family name. So, yeah, awesome, healthy. That's the most important thing. He's healthy. My wife's healthy. A little bit of a scare. Had the cord wrapped around his neck. Wrapped around there twice, actually, and had to do... It's not full-blown, like what we would typically, I think, consider resuscitation, but they use the term resuscitation, which is not um, not desirable. No, no bueno. Well, that was a good way to start. Yeah, it was, a, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was scary, man. It really was. Yeah, put, I mean, put you some perspective on stuff, too. I mean, we talk about football all the time, and how it's just a game. And we're actually going to get into this a little bit, I think. So, you know, perspective is always important. But, yeah, everybody's healthy. Everybody's good. We're, we're back in the saddle again. And uh, going to go through some stuff. So, as we are recording this, the trade deadline actually just passed. Any big? I mean, we. I think we're going to get more into it as as we go through our conversation. But do you have any big, big takeaways from this situation, Bruce? This trade deadline felt a little bit to me like the trade deadlines of yore for the NFL. Historically, the trade deadlines in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, they really passed like a fart in the wind. I mean, it was really very underwhelming, very anticlimactic. And then the last couple of years, things really picked up as you get a new wave of GMs who have different values on draft picks. And as the cultural shift in the NFL starts to change, you get people more willing to wheel and deal. You get the concept of buyers and sellers and things like that. And this this trade deadline, we had some trades, but it was much less significant at the actual deadline than I think we thought it was going to be. Yeah. I mean, I... I I've said previously that I really wish the trade deadline was actually later in the year so that teams who really, really knew what their destiny was or knew that they had a chance to fight for the the postseason or a championship or whatever would potentially be even more motivated to make moves. And I just think that would be exciting. Um, I think that it would probably take a little while before like the appropriate – understanding of what things are worth would be. So for example, if the trade deadline wasn't for two and a half weeks and a team uh, like the chiefs lose one of their 
key wide receiving talents. Tyreek Hill, say he goes down with an injury. And they then are interested in getting high-end wide receiver talent. And they would be interested in maybe even like a rental situation because of the position their team is currently in. I think it would be really interesting to have buyers, so to speak, of that sort in that situation be interested in someone like A.J. Green. Because then, even though he doesn't, he has an expiring contract, it kind of like what I think happens in hockey, where teams that are positioned to go after a championship run will bring in a player that is really, quote-unquote, a rental. Um, in the NFL, I think, you know, before week eight, that's not... It, renting is hard. Because in the, the thing I say about that being like people would need to learn what trade what what players would be worth is even if it's a rental and even if you're a championship team you'd only be worth a mid-round pick because you're only going to have them for eight plus games right and you know at that point maybe the market has spoken so to speak and whoever the gm on the other side is knows what the player's real value is they have absolutely nothing to gain by keeping them aside from i guess a comp pick but i don't know i always think it would be interesting if the trade deadline was later of course, you'd have to find a team who was not philosophically opposed to trading him the way the Bengals are. The fact that the Bengals are 0-8 and really should be collecting assets for a rebuild and yet you know, steadfastly refuse to trade their, their players for valuable assets. Andrew Billings, Andy Dalton got benched today. You had time to trade him to a quarterback needy team. Are you telling me the Bears wouldn't? kick the tires on Andy Dalton instead of Mitchell Trubisky. I think that's an upgrade in a pretty significant way for Mitchell Trubisky and AJ Green. And, you know, so, you know, there are some talented players on that team, but you still have this old guard of NFL teams who are philosophically opposed to what they call making other teams better at the draft, which of course is true. The ideally you'd be making both teams better, you better later and them better now. That's the trade off. Right. So the Bills stood pat, right? Nothing happened. We didn't get Kenyon Drake. That was one thing that was talked about. We didn't get AJ Green, Stefan Diggs, Melvin Gordon, Le'Veon Bell at the very end. People were talking about the Bills maybe even being interested in Le'Veon Bell because the Jets were interested in moving him. Vic Beasley was a guy that you were interested in. Trent Williams was a guy that people talked about. Von Miller was a guy that people talked about. None of these guys, to my knowledge, got moved. So how do you feel from a Bills-centric perspective about none of these things happening? And in general, you know, do you have any kind of things that you're telling yourself behind the scenes? Like, I bet that Bean made the call, but... He just didn't want to spend. You know, where is your head at on all of that? I'm absolutely fine with the inactivity at the trade deadline. Would I have liked to see a one technique brought in in place of Harrison Phillips because he's on IR? Absolutely. I I I would love to be able to get a one technique in here who can potentially help us with that spot because I don't think Pecco is the answer there. But I think that a lot of the dissatisfaction coming from some Bills fans in regards to the inactivity of the trade line deadline is based on the concept that somehow we're a Super Bowl team this year. And I just don't see it. I really don't. I don't think that this is a year where you go all in for this year. I, I don't think Do you does that do you have more clarity on that because of the Eagles game? 
If we no. had, if we had won the Eagles game, would you feel any differently? Do no. You think? I think I would, but go go on, go on. I don't think I would. I don't think this is a Super Bowl team. I don't think that having a quarterback with a developmental curve like Josh Allen does is not going to win a Super Bowl. Josh Allen's not going to win a Super Bowl a year into what everyone agreed before the draft was a very long development curve. Yeah. Well, he could win, right, with with a significant amount of help. With a significant amount of help. We don't have that significant amount of help. Our defense is suddenly mortal, right, after the last two weeks. And our offense, the, the skill positions around him are better than last year, right? They're they're different. There's improvement, but they're not, you know, we're not so stacked that the only thing we need is for him to take a step forward. If we if we wanted Josh Allen to be a game manager where he was throwing the ball 18 to 24 times a game and escorting a 40 carry a game rush offense down the field, then Okay, sure, but with we're a great tr- offensive line with a great offensive line, right. and we're attempting to accelerate his curve by not having him do that. By saying, "Okay, second year, here are the keys: throw the ball thirty-two times a game. Like, figure it out, dude. We don't have time for you to have a four-year development curve. Let's try and make it two and a half instead. And we're going to do that by having you throw. I mean, you can't say." on one hand, that Josh Allen is 10,000 reps behind Baker Mayfield and then also say you want him to throw 18 times a game. What do you want, a 15-year development curve on Josh Allen? Well, you know, he's still a young player in this league. He's been in the year for nine years. What's going on? He's going gray, and we still don't know what we have in Josh Allen at that point. I, I just, I think that the idea that we're going to, I don't say toss him to the wolves, but we're going to give him the necessary reps and leeway to accelerate the development curve is good because I don't think this is the year you go for a Super Bowl. If you make the playoffs this year, that's great. But I don't think a quarterback who needs a notable development curve two years in, a year in, is is going to take you to the Super Bowl, especially not when you're asking him to throw the ball 30 times a game. Yeah. I think that there's two things that happen here. One is that as you play games and you have to watch it and sit with it for a week. I, I've said this so many times, but like you, what you want from your team starts to shift because you can say you're going to be patient ahead of time, but being patient in the midst of, you know, whatever inadequacies you have and whatever struggles you have doesn't feel good. It feels, feels actually quite bad. And so that's whenever you get guys or people in general who are saying, uh, you know, we, we got to do something to make a move this calendar year because the AFC is weak or whatever. I, I don't disagree that the AFC is weak. I just don't think that you're going to be able to make a move that would give you the shot in the arm that on paper you think it would. You know, the, the only thing I think potentially could be would be a defensive tackle because that would be a rotational plug-and-play situation in a pretty well-established defensive core and defensive, you know, scheme and everything, right? You, you just kind of put them in there, tell them this is what your job is. Don't worry about anybody else, and you can go get them. Uh, that's not the case on the on the offense. I don't think um, you're going to have people who are, you know, if you got a younger person, even uh, a player who was who was still developing themselves, then you're talking about again something you mentioned a long time ago, which is having people who are developing 
around Josh Allen as he's developing rather than known commodities around him while he's developing. And I think that potentially only clouds the water. And could it work? Of course. Of course it could work. I'm sure it has worked. And there's examples that somebody who's listening to this is thinking of right now. But the likelihood of that to me seems particularly low. I would agree with that. I think that the inactivity is frustrating because even if you come into the year and say, I think the Bills are going to be 8-8, eight and eight, it's different when you're 5-1. and one. If you start 5-1 and one and you end up 8-8, eight and eight, it feels like a collapse. If you start 3-3 three and three and end up 8-8, eight and eight, you feel fine. So I predicted the Bills to be 8-8. Eight and eight. You predicted the Bills to be 9-7. That's why I'm not really freaking out right now. Yeah, I think the, the problem is that once you get in, you start to think that your positioning is such that you need to take advantage of, you know, where you wound up. Even if you could go through the schedule and say, oh, we have a really tough back end, we're probably going to lose a bunch at the end, so we need to have a fast start and all of this kind of stuff, and then you won't go through the schedule like I did and you wind up 9-7. and seven. That that all is, you know, well and good. The issue is that once you're in the midst of it and you have, you know, you're thinking for what, what's what's six times 24, however many hours that is, you're thinking about the next game for that long and you're stewing about it and you're thinking about the week after that and the week after that. When you give all of that time to the mental energy that you have, to spend it on, right? Then all of a sudden you wind up kind of twisting yourself around to make more out of this season than maybe everybody who was thinking about it ahead of time said that they wanted out of it. It's just like a lot of things in fandom. It's really hard to separate what you thought when you were more unbiased to what you think now. It's the same with draft prospects. I said I thought Cody Ford was a guard, and then we draft him. Like I, I still think he's a guard, but now because he's a bill, now everyone wants to get really upset about it. It's the same thing with schedule predictions. You come in, you're like, hey, you know, if we can get a winning record, nine, seven, eight, and eight, you know, if we can break even or get a little, I think that's about progress. And then we get to five and one, and we're like, no, no, Super Bowl year, let's do it because people got hurt and stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. I mean, and to be fair, those things do change the landscape. And we yeah. could, we could go further than maybe we initially thought. What I think it doesn't change is it doesn't change the top end of what Correct. we'd be going up against, right? So the top end of the AFC is still going to be as good as the top end of the AFC would have been in a more ordinary year. It, is the goal to just win a wild card game? Like cuz your chances your chances of winning a wild card game are higher because the AFC is weaker. To an extent. But your is. chances of getting to the Super Bowl aren't necessarily higher. I agree with that. I, I think that people have, people have, I mean, the drought really messed with stuff. The drought really messed with what people's goals were. I don't think that the Bills and Bills fans stayed 100% consistent with the ultimate goal being win a Super Bowl. I think for quite some time, at least for a portion of our fans, and I think at certain points in time for the organization or certain people who were within the organization, the goal was to get to the playoffs. Now we have made the playoffs, but we haven't won a game since 93. Now I think people want to get there and they want to they win a game or maybe make some noise. And I think that instead of going for keeping the end in mind, perhaps as a, you know, a leadership um, type self-help perspective that, that a lot of people might be familiar with. 
I think that instead of only keeping the end goal in mind, people are trying to take one step at a time and they're satisfied with one step at a time. And, you know, I, I, it's hard to argue with that because I'm satisfied with one step at a time with Josh Allen. So why am I not satisfied with one step at a time as an organization, right? I mean, you kind of have to pick your poison as far as what matters to you in what increment and at, at what stage of the process. Fandom's complicated. You know, fandom is complicated. It's complicated intellectually. It's complicated emotionally. I reached out to Twitter and I said, how are you guys feeling about inactivity at the trade deadline? And we got some great responses. You know, slowest buffalo in the herd told me, meh. That was it. Meh. M-E-H. M-E-H. Meh. That was it. Eric Hutchins said, feeling good. Trade value I'd seen for hypothetical trades was troubling, and I'd rather bills build through the draft. I think that's probably true. Things got things got expensive, I think. Yeah, I think that... Sanders and Sanu, right? They, I agree. Those, they messed with They stuff. messed with the wide receiver market. And California Buffalo said, I'd like to know how they plan on improving our DT play. Was really hoping they'd make a move there. I think if they can improve the play of our current DTs, then cool. I really hope so. Every other position I'm okay with. So he wanted a one-tech like I did. Yeah, it's, I... I don't we'll talk about it, but I don't know how you fix that right now. But yeah, we'll talk about it. You know, Hanover tells me not exactly happy. I know the front office is still in semi rebuild mode, but this is the best schedule we've had in years. It's time to win. We need playmakers to certain positions that are replete repeatedly hurting us, and there were a ton on the table worth sacrificing picks. So I got two alternate responses in the span of a few minutes from people who say, Hey, it's time to win now. Yeah, the tough thing about the schedule is you can't really plan for that. Because the schedule, when it came out, I don't think people thought was particularly easy. But because of how you know the chips fall, so to speak, this turns out to be a historically easy schedule. I don't know that you can really position your organization around next year being another one or being harder than this year because there's so much outside of your control. Uh, that's a variable nightmare for you, right? Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> Bruce no, doesn't like no, variables. I, 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 don't, I don't like variables. So some more fan feedback you know john f kennedy jr who i didn't realize was on twitter said slightly different disappointed given some of the possibilities but if bean thought the asking price was too high on some or making a move just didn't fit in the plan i honestly trust him to make the right decision for the franchise which is something the bills haven't had in a while so this is a yeah. a third take this is a if bean makes a move i trust him and if bean doesn't make a move i trust him that's probably where i am the most actually is you that, know do you this is do you identify with any of these no things? no i i i um I think probably of these takes, I identify with California Buffaloes the most. Uh, I'm not one of those. Um, whatever Bean says is awesome is awesome, because I don't. Th- I believe in human fallibility, and I, I trust. I'm not saying I trust my eyes more than Brandon Bean. That's that's absolutely ludicrous. But if I came to a conclusion before I was a Bills fan, and then the Bills draft him, I'm not going to dismiss all the evidence I had. Right. You know, and I'm using the draft obviously as a, as an example in this case. Uh, David Medina says, I personally am glad this front office did not give up anything needed for long-term success for short-term gain. Though I love a good fantasy football-style trade, I am most excited for even the possibility of sustainable success. Not there yet, but trending positively. Christopher says, not happy. Not even rumblings that they were in on something to help the run defense. So rumblings, Buffalo rumblings. Ha-ha! Would have made you feel better in this case. You know, rumors that they were at least trying. This is this is a very much a do something sort of a take. You know, I, I want to hear that you were doing something to try to to 
alleviate the concerns that we most recently saw. I don't want to. I don't want to pick on. Was it Christopher who said this? Yes. I don't want to pick on Christopher too much. It just it, it reminds me of something I've experienced. Have you ever had a supervisor or a manager of some kind who is the do something kind of manager? I have. The person who you're doing your work. You're doing your work with some intentionality, and you're doing it the way you're doing it for not unintelligent reasons. And maybe there is an issue around you of some kind or that's affecting the organization in a different way. Pick pick your poison. And then you have that person in the organization, potentially who is above you, whose attitude is do something. Almost appearances, you know, prioritized. And I'm not saying that's exactly where Christopher is, but you don't get a lot of sympathy from me out of being somehow in that realm because... I just have been around that in a different setting, totally different setting in life, and I don't always think that that's the most level-headed of perspective. I think Christopher, much like where you were at a few seconds ago, goes, I don't know how we're going to fix it with the players we've got. So the next logical move is if we can't fix it with the players we got, we need different players. Yep, or you or you sit with it. That's your two, those are your two choices. M says, next year's schedule looks like it'll be significantly more difficult than this year's. Did we miss an opportunity to strengthen some soft spots and solidify a run for the playoff spot this year? That's what we just talked about. Yeah. Beerant Claypool. Beerant. Hey, Beerant. Beerant came back for us. Beerant. Just sent my thoughts and then a gif of Alonzo Mourning staring down. Oh, yeah, I love that gif. And then blankly going. Yeah. Ah. I love that gif of Alonzo morning. Yeah, that's that, that's really good. Ryan McKenna says, could have used a DT. However, I'll gladly take the boatload of cap space, a healthy stock of draft, pick, draft picks, a winning record, and the peace of mind that our front office has a plan that they're sticking to. That's more than many can say. This is a trust the process. It's take, not, I mean, it's right? not wrong. We have data to suggest that we're positioning ourselves well. We sure. just don't, we don't get to take advantage of any of the fruits of that right now. That's the, that's the consequence. Yeah. So those were some of the takes that I got. Um, there was a lot of, yeah, I get it. I'm not happy, but I, I'm good with it. You know, and, and that's that's uh, that's kind of how I feel right now. One person just responded. Keith Boudreaux just responded and said, trust the process. So yeah. I, it's just difficult because you are you willing to give you have to make up your mind about whether or not you believe the front office did their due diligence. You do have to make that choice in your mind. You have to say, did they kick the tires? Did they make phone calls or take phone calls and have serious discussions and actually attempt to do something? And if you believe the answer to that is yes, and then they didn't do it, you can choose to believe it was because it wasn't exactly in our best interest. It's really an incomplete data set. Yeah. Like you have to tell me what the player was and what the compensation was, and then I'll tell you what I think of it. And none of us and have that none of us have any of that information. No. So I, you know, I, I'm hard pressed to just you know old man screaming cloud at this point, just saying <laughs> do something. You know, what are you doing? Do something because it's an incomplete data set. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the options were, and so screaming at an at a variable seems highly illogical to me. Yeah, it's like well, it, it's like if you went to. Uh, you know, went to buy your box macaroni and cheese that normally is 99 cents or less, but you bought it from Sharper Image and it was $6. You know, it's like, well, I, I bought dinner. Yeah, but you 
paid six times more than what this is actually valued at, right? And so that sort of stuff makes a difference, and we don't have any of that information. If you buy mac and cheese from Sharper Image, I'm pretty sure it does your taxes for you. Well, I'm interested. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested. Okay, let's with the mac and cheese, you know, analogy. We'll go ahead and uh, ooh, Deion Dawkins. Oh, that's very, you know, absolutely. A couple weeks late, but uh, we'll take that. We have to take a quick break, so we will be right back with you and move forward with the rest of this conversation. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Nick Bat. Along with me, as always, Bruce Nolan, and uh, we're very glad to be with you. I'm I'm particularly glad to be back with you, and I did certainly need the week off. That was uh, that was a thing. Did you listen to my solo pod? <laughs> oh, I listened to the solo. I I got to it eventually. Yes. Did oh, you... Mrs. Nolan filled in very nice. Did you like the solo pod? I did like the solo pod. I liked Mrs. Nolan. I think that uh, you know we've got a we've got a little je ne sais quoi, right? Uh, but you you and I absolutely. And so you know I I I, I actually wind up. I listen back to the pod as I'm editing it. So I typically will, it will drop on Wednesday. I will have listened to it, you know, some, some sort of like three and three times or so in pieces as I'm editing it. And then I'll return to it on like Friday or Saturday and it'll, it'll come back to me. I'll forget some of the drops that we did and I'll forget some of the things that we said and it'll, it'll make me laugh because I'll actually think, you know, genuinely think that we're funny. You'll be enjoying it yeah, as I'll, an I'll observer. Enjoy, yeah, I'll enjoy it almost as an audience member. So, I definitely I definitely miss that. But uh, we're glad to be back with you. So, so so here's here's one thing I think we're going to talk about. We lost to the Eagles and that that stings for me for a very particular reason, and it is that it was an opportunity loss. Now, every game that you lose is an opportunity loss, blah, blah, blah. Lose to the Patriots, all that stuff. I get it, I get it. That being said, this was a team that I don't think we were incredibly outmatched by. Their strength was their offensive talent. Our perceived strength was our defensive talent. Perceived. Perceived, obviously. And... It was an opportunity for us to go up against an opponent that does not have a pretty much unanimous reputation for being not good and to say, hey, we are we are kind of for real here. Uh, We are not just going to beat the teams we should. We're also going to beat the teams that were evenly matched with or potentially better. And instead of doing that, we got, you know, ransacked. We got what's the. uh, Leroy Jenkins situation. Leroy Jenkins. You know, we just got demolished. We we went in there attempting to do a raid or whatever the hell was happening, and that you can talk. You've you've played World of Warcraft. You can you can talk about it if you want. But we went in there. If you haven't seen the Leroy Jenkins, I'm I'm so late to this. I still think it's hilarious because I only came across it earlier this year. Yeah, you're like ten years. Ten late. Ten years late, right? Well, it's a great soundbite. So we um went in there and, and just got steamrolled in an opportunity where we could have told the league, hey, we're pretty much for real. The national narrative was starting to was starting to teeter around who are the Bills? Are they pretty are they good? And um, you know, we 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 put a Connect Four piece down the slot that was, you know, squarely in the um maybe not for real column. At least we got chicken though. At least I have chicken. At least <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Yes. So what comes with that? We'll talk about the game here, I think, after this segment and get into that and then talk about the, the Redskins. But 
what happens when the fan base wants to buy in, right? Like you're ready to you're ready to believe. Maybe you already do believe. You have bought in. And then something happens that puts information out there that maybe your belief and emphasis and excitement was misplaced. That's not pleasant. No, highly unpleasant. Highly unpleasant. When that happens, how do you handle it? Now, Bill's Mafia has a reputation, probably amongst Bill's Mafia more than to the national media. Although there's a you know there's a national appreciation of of Bill's fandom and all that. Um, Bill's Mafia took on a little bit of a different demeanor, writ large. If you were to just take the pulse of the organi- pulse of the fan base, like you know on the on a macro level, things things shifted a little bit. Sunday, Monday, compared to where they were Thursday, Friday, would you say? Yeah, I'd agree with that. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. One of the things that I think is really important to talk about is that this is a unique loss for the Bills this year. And I think that this is a very important, pivotal week for the fan base on an emotional level. Because when we lost the Patriots, we lost by six. We had multiple turnovers. We had a block punt return for a touchdown. And we thought, gosh, I'm taking a moral victory from this. They, they got away with one, almost. Yep, the Patriots stole one from us. This week is not like that. This week is a week where we felt embarrassed. And one of the things that fandom brings with it is it brings connective emotions. And they usually end in anger. And what I mean by that is that all roads lead to anger. Impatience leads to anger. Embarrassment leads to anger. Sadness leads to anger. We're not able to compartmentalize our emotion and just be embarrassed. That can't just be the end game. It's embarrassment that connects you then to anger. The end game emotion in that chain is anger. And one of the things that is interesting from for those of you who do not know, my my college degree is in social and behavioral sciences. That is my essentially a mass sociology and psychology degree. And one of the things that I'm noticing now from Bill's Mafia is I'm noticing that optimism and pessimism aren't shifting. They're simply becoming militant. What I mean by that is that the optimists are still optimistic. The pessimists are still pessimistic. But the optimism and pessimism that they feel now has teeth. (laughs) and those teeth give them a little bit more militantism in their points so i i made a plea to bill's mafia on my solo pod and i said you know don't shout down people who have reasonable concerns about this team with five and one five and one five and one this is these are the people who are saying well why, why do you why do you tweet this like why would you say this why would you even say that you're concerned about this thing just enjoy the ride. Just enjoy the ride. A win is a win. Five and one. And this militantism comes with it a litany of logical fallacies. We could do an entire pod. I actually debated doing an entire pod in the offseason on logical fallacies. We might still do that. But I wanted to touch on some of them now in the hopes that I can help us have healthier dialogue as a fan base. So 
the biggest one and most significant one is what they call ad hominem attacks. Ad hominem arguments are arguments that attack the person making the point instead of the point itself. This is the people who respond, you're a fucking idiot to your, to your tweets, right? That, that, that's really not helpful. Now, I'm pretty sure that those people aren't listeners to the Nick and Nolan show. People who respond with two other tweets with the, that is probably not someone who uh, is a purveyor of our particular brand. But that would be an example of, of an ad hominem attack. But it's not the only one that you have. A lot of this stuff is in Latin, so I can't do it without sounding pretentious. So just just go with me, okay? You, you, you're right with that? I'm fine with that. Okay. Straw man's not in Latin. Straw man is not in Latin, and we're going to talk about that. So okay. straw man argument is the concept of repackaging an argument that you don't agree with into a method that is more easily attackable. So this is when you say something, and then the response to that tweet is, so you're saying blah, blah, blah? And I'm like, no, that's that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. And then they attack the repackaging. You know, Josh Allen isn't a franchise quarterback yet, but he's showing improvement. Well, so Josh Allen's never going to be franchise quarterback? Well, you're an idiot if you think that. Now we got both. We got a straw man and we got an ad hominem attack. And so be very careful to take people at what they actually say, not what you think that they're implying. Because your inference can basically just be a straw man argument at that point. The next two are tied together. And these are, this is where I get really pretentious sounding, and there's just no way to do it because this is the way they teach it in in logic class, right? Which is cum hoc ergo propter hoc and post hoc ergo propter hoc. These are both Latin phrases. The first, which cum hoc ergo propter hoc, means it occurred simultaneously to something else. Therefore, those two things must be related. This is drawing false equivalencies and false correlatives. So this is, you know, the sun came up today and I got kicked in the nuts. Therefore, those two things are related. Every time the sun comes up in the future, I might get kicked in the nuts. That's what this is. Now, you know, every single... Correlation causation. Correlation causation, Ooh, the pumpkin I sent you. Exactly. Yes. Oh, the most terrifying pumpkin of all time says correlation and causation. That's cum hoc ergo propter hoc. But post hoc ergo propter hoc is exactly what it sounds like, which is if item A occurred after item B, therefore item B must be the cause of item A. So... In this case, it was, you know, I, uh, this is a karmic sort of an argument. You know, I yelled at my wife this morning and I got in a car accident. Therefore, I must have gotten in a car accident because I yelled at my wife earlier this morning. This is all of the fan superstition. Right. You didn't, we lost because you wore a different jersey than you wore last week. Sure. Therefore, the reason we lost is because you didn't wear the right jersey. You idiot. (laughs) Yeah. Now we ad hominem again. So this is where we run into problems here. And I think the biggest ones that we run into on Twitter specifically are ad hominem and, and straw man arguments. And I think that we can benefit from recognizing those things in ourselves because every single one of us, including me, is guilty of them at one point or another. And sometimes the straw man is just by accident. You don't understand the point they're making, but rather than asking for clarification, you attack what you think they meant. And then when they say, no, that's not what I meant, you defend yourself with, yeah, well, that's that, that's, that's totally what you meant. Oh, because yeah. because instead of saying, oh, I, I misinterpreted that, back, allow... Calling that, calling that a backpedal. Sure. Hey, oh, no, that's, that's, that's not that. Yeah, yeah, you're, you look at you backpedaling. No, this is not me backpedaling. This is you misunderstanding. And then when you're called out on you misunderstanding, you then dig down and you trench in and you go, no, 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 I'm right, you're wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's 
Bills Mafia, like you said, I mean, it's it's we were embarrassed and it's hard to sit with embarrassment. We are sad and it's hard to sit with sadness. So you wind up with the echo chamber. Yeah, because the echo chamber of who you interact with is typically going to be this in this case on Twitter. Most of the time, it's it's other people who are Bills fans. Right. It's it's the situation where like you ever you ever have a really bad day of, of some other kind. Uh, you have a bad day at work and then you come home and you're kind of an asshole to your spouse or to your kids or to your friends or to your roommate or to whatever your sibling. And it's not really their fault, but they're the only person around. Right. Well, your fuse has been shortened by the bad experience you had. Now, in the case of Bill's fans talking to each other on Twitter or elsewhere, their fuse is probably also shortened because they're also sad, embarrassed or whatever about the Bills loss. So now it's just this like vicious cycle. I am sad about the Bills loss. I am also sad about some of the reaction I see on social media from the Bills loss. And I know that the listeners don't know a lot about me personally, but I'd like to tell you a story if you would indulge me and kind of explain where my relationship with Bills Mafia is. I understand that this is a little different of an intro than you're used to hearing, but this is what it boils down to. I love Bill's Mafia. And when I say I love Mills, Bill's Mafia, I, I don't mean I, 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 I love Bill's Mafia in this, oh, you know, I love these guys. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's an interesting thing for me because when I was a boy, we moved around a lot. And my father's job took us to lots of different places I lived tons of places in the country, multiple states, multiple regions, multiple cultures. And none of those things happened in Western New York. At no point was I living in Buffalo Bills country, which made me feel disconnected even further than I already was because every single time I moved to a school, I would be surrounded by people who on average had been together since kindergarten or first grade. And you know, you combine that with the fact that I'm, you know, not exactly known as being the uh, the most outgoing person you've ever met. I think Nick, you know me personally. You probably say that that's I'm outgoing is probably not a word you would use to describe me. Inaccurate. Yes. <laughs> so imprecise. Wrong. So you add these things together, and it creates kind of a, a strange dynamic for my childhood. Always the new kid. Always the new kid. And the the second that things start to settle in. And I start to make friends and I'm up and moving again. And I'm the new kid again. But every time I would pass a guy in a Walmart going grocery shopping with my mom with a Bills hat or a Jim Kelly jersey, I would yell out to that guy, go Bills. And he would turn around, he'd smile and go, go Bills, kid. And sometimes we'd chat about how on earth, you know, this Bills fan is here in Oklahoma, you know, where I lived or where's this Bills fan in central Illinois or wherever it was I happened to be at the time. And this Bills fan was this Bills fandom was stability to me socially. And that increased multiple times over when I got on the Buffalo Bills message boards. And when I was on the Buffalo Bills message boards, the reason I'm Bruce Nolan is because that's how they knew me. The reason I'm even on Twitter to begin with is because I don't have the Bills message boards anymore. They shut them down. They shut them down. And I wanted to connect to those people. I wanted Shanta and Beast of the East and Wyo and all these people who I knew. I wanted 
that relationship to stay. How, how, how funny is it to think about that? And now you and, and Robin, Y.O. YO Bills fan, both host podcasts on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. I have taken a minute to think about how weird it is, but I am, as, as a admitted and unabashed Robin Mundy fan, um, I... I think it's wonderful, and I think it's great what her and Danielle are doing on Mafia Mavens. And if you haven't listened to that pod, please by all means do so. Uh, if you don't, you'll be you'll be missing out on one of the better pods out there. But it is it is a scenario where I I worked all day when I moved out of the house and I was on my own. I worked all day at a call center, and then I would go to school all night to try and put myself through college so i worked eight to five typically and i had a 5 30 to 7 40 class and an eight o'clock to 10 10 class four or five days a week and on saturday i would get caught up with all my homework that i should have done uh but i was too busy trying to you know sleep on a weekday and on sundays i would go to the bar by myself and i would watch the bills game and i would come home and i'd get on the buffalo bills message boards and i'd connect to people that had been with me no matter where I was. Yeah. The water cooler talk talk that like people who in Western New York would have mm. or the, the the schoolmate that you would have sit at the desk next to you that you could talk to on Monday, that was the message boards. Yeah, I knew Del Reed from the message boards. And that's that's where this all started for me. Bill's Mafia concept and how much I love Bill's Mafia comes from the fact that in a very unstable time for me, you could make an argument that Bill's Mafia gave me a home. Nick. And that's very personal for people. And that's why I love Bill's Mafia so much. And that's why I I do this. I do this pod specifically so I can connect to those people. I have one friend, Nick. It's you. This Nick Nick is for those of you who are listening, I have Nick is very popular. Nick's a very outgoing guy, has friends. I have one friend. Aside from my wife, I have one friend, and it's she's sitting here across from me right now, and we haven't seen each other in two weeks, and we 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 chat occasionally via text and things like that. But that's it. I do this pod because I want to connect to the people who meant so much to me during a very informative time in my life, and I want to connect to the fan base that I truly believe is uniquely special, and I will straight up fight anyone who tells me otherwise. I think it's probably uniquely sad. Whatever. Pick your negative emotion. It's uniquely, you know, kind of upsetting or unsettling for you to see knowing what Bills Mafia can mean to people who are not surrounded by other Bills fans and who have chosen one way or another to be a Bills fan. To see the internet social media conversation devolve and lose some of its generosity is probably tough because you know how meaningful it can be to people who, you know, aren't, aren't, I mean, WGR callers, for example, how many times, if you listen to WGR, are the callers who call in not necessarily local, they're national, because the WGR app allows them to listen out of market, and it gives them the opportunity to connect to something that's meaningful to them. Social media does the same thing in in large part with the people who are on social media who are not in Western New York and want to interact with Bills fans. They don't have their neighbor or whoever it may be, you know, and 
we've gotten a lot of people who have told us that they listen to our show from those things. And that's special to me because I see myself in those people. Sure. I see myself in the person who says, oh, hey, I'm Ryan from California. And I listen to your show and it helps me connect the bills. I talked a little bit on the solo pod last week about enriching people's fandom and how important that was to me. And this this is what that means. I want to do that. And so I want to help us be better. And I want us to be better. And I think that this week is an important time for us to be better. And I wanted to take an opportunity and share that. I understand that's a very strange way to start off, you know, a podcast with a couple segments. But you know what? You get the weird with Nick and Nolan, and <laughs> and that's what you get. There's plenty of other. If this is not your cup of tea, if our je ne sais quoi is not what you are looking for, then goodness, there's six other pods on this freaking network, and how many other Bill's pods out there? But and we, we love you anyway. We like you anyway. Even if this isn't your je ne our je ne what was it you say je ne, je ne sais quoi? Isn't that that's from Home Alone, right? Je ne sais a quoi certain is, you lack a certain je ne sais quoi. How you? It, I I don't know. I I. Oh my god! I hope it's not derogative. <laughs> my understanding is that it is a French for like unnameable characteristic, like a certain something. Hmm. I don't know any French. Oh god! All right. Well, we're gonna put this out and find out. All Somebody's right. Somebody's cool. gonna tell us or or verify or shoot us down. So just don't go ad hominem on us. Uh, let's take a quick break. We will come back and then we are gonna talk about the game that passed and the Redskins upcoming. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for the Nick and Nolan Show. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. I'm Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. We are a Buffalo Rumblings podcast, and we hope that you have enjoyed this uh, reunion. You know, the, Bruce and I back together again after uh, after an, a hiatus while I was uh, bringing, well, my wife was bringing our child into the world, and I just... Unfortunately, had other priorities. As you you were imagine. there for moral support, though. I was there for moral support. That's right. Somebody said, somebody texted me, a friend texted me and said, have you had your kid yet? I said, I'm having no children. <laughs> I'm I'm going to be present while a, children is, while a child is had, <laughs> just to be clear. But uh, I appreciate you, you know, projecting the experience onto me for sure. Uh, but, you know, kudos to all the moms and wives and women out there because it... Um, it's a whole nother level of stuff <laughs> for you, obviously. So here's the thing. Our other podcasts on the network with Buffalo Rumblings have started doing giveaways and other promotions and things like that. And so the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network is getting more reviews on iTunes than previously, whenever it was mostly people who were going there because we were asking you to and whatnot. And that's awesome. The thing for us to shout you out Moving forward, we still want you to give us reviews. We still want those, oh, what the five-star, I want it so bad. It's like a cocaine fix. Love it. Give me that, are you worried about it now? No, no, <laughs> the, the, the voraciousness with which you said cocaine. Yeah. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. Makes me wonder if we need to have a different discussion. <laughs> yeah, right. So I just love it so much. And we want you guys to keep giving us reviews. And we think they're hilarious, too, a lot of times. And we, it just encourages Bruce and I. So please keep doing that. But you have to you have to say Nick and Nolan or NNN or something like that in the review. Otherwise, we're not going to know if it's about us or one of our peers. And we won't be able to shout you out on the pod because I don't want to be taking CTW. Nate's <laughs> struggling the wagons like... He says we're great, and he's talking about them instead of us. So, Guy has no idea who we are. Yeah, like, who are it, Nick and Nolan yeah, saying we're great? I was right, talking right. about Nate. Yeah, right, right, right. So do that. 
And there is one review, which I have not read, that Bruce saved for me, that I that I, I want to give a shout out for from two weeks ago, because it is uh, it fulfills a bucket list wish for me. This comes to us courtesy of Duke John, which I assume is, you know, this is an homage to the old uh, Duke of John or because you, you really would be Duke of a, of a territory in, in old England, right? Sure. So he just says Duke John, though. I don't know if this is like... Uh, well, say like Little John, only the guy who's in charge of Little John is Duke, Duke John. John. <laughs> okay. Here's his review. Hear ye, hear ye. Kansas City be the kingdom I doth call home currently. However, my heart belongeth in western New York. In the words of Sir Macho Man Savage, the creameth doth rise to the top. Nick and Nolan, I dub thee Sir Nick and Sir MC Blowhard, Knights of the Mafia. Bruce's hand just shot up in the air. From Al's Bar and Grill, we shall shout from the mountaintops of Parkville, Letteth us go, Buffalo. Sincerely, Sir John, Bill's Backers of Kansas City. How can you, I mean, how can you listen to that and not love Bill's Mafia? I just don't understand. (laughs) I have, we have people giving us raps. We have people giving us old English reviews. This crap takes work. I will take all the old English reviews you have, too. You do not have to be shy about the old English reviews. I will. I, you can do many more of them. Good morning. So if you want to get in here and get another shout-out, jump on the old, uh, the old iTunes and head over to the podcast, and you can leave a review even if you don't have an Apple device. As I've said many times, you just got to log in, create an account, pull us up, and leave us that... Sexy, sexy review. Okay, so something that was not so sexy, sexy was the Bills' loss to the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday. The game was close for a, a while. There was a, there was a period of time where the game was within reach, but the Bills fell behind and uh, did not pull out the fourth quarter comeback that we had somewhat become accustomed to. So... There are some narratives that have come out of this. I think there's three specifically that we're going to talk about. First, which is our run defense. And that can be summed up as in, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, that's 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 rather um, articulate representation of it. The next one is, uh, is some Dable, some Brian Dable issues. One of the things about, just in general, his game plan, but also people are upset about Devin Singletary. Um, they, they want to know why Dable's doing what he's doing or not doing what he's not doing with Devin Singletary. And then the last one is Josh Allen. As far as what does this game tell us about him in any way? So I will let you pick whichever one of those you want to talk about first. Let's start with the run defense. Let's talk about run defense. Okay. So unfortunately I had to watch this game back. And one of the things I think is interesting is that when, when you have a loss, there seems to be a fall guy in the narrative. And a couple weeks ago, it was Zay Jones. And you and I talked about Zay Jones after the Patriots loss. This week, it's Star Latulule. And I am here to tell you that Star Latulule was not good on Sunday. He was also not even close to being the only issue with the Bills' run defense. So if you think that there's a quick fix coming through cutting Star Latule or replacing him, I have unfortunately bad news for you. It's not that simple. And, well, I saw Ed Oliver get manhandled on a couple of run plays. Ed Oliver was better than he was bad 
there was a couple where Brandon Brooks got the better of him and turned him out of the lane. Yes. Um, but overall, you could make an argument that Ed Oliver was the best defensive lineman on our team last oh, game. Okay. Because Star Latulale was consistently getting blown out of his gap, but Star Latulale was also, as a pass rusher, yes, I heard it, a big part of the reason why Shaq Lawson got a sack. Hmm. So, it... It's that's, not. That's not really what we, you know. Star kind of comes off the field a lot of times in pa- in, in passing situations. Yeah, and there were multiple different personnel groups that were thrown out there to try to help. Yeah. The run defense, and it just didn't work. It was truly a run fit issue. We had people who were out of the gaps. I know everybody loves Jordan Phillips, but I'm here to tell you that if you're getting distracted by the fact that Jordan Phillips has five sacks, you're missing the fact that Jordan Phillips plays every freaking snap like it's a pass rush and is upright and on roller skates a lot of times. He looks like he's ice skating out of his gap sometimes and doesn't have, for a 340-pound man, you think his ability to anchor would be a little bit more significant, but either he doesn't have the ability to anchor or he's just not doing it. And it's not just one guy. Star Latulale was not good. And because he is a $10 million a year guy, he's going to get more negative publicity and more negative attention after this loss. But Kyle Pecco wasn't good. And Ed Oliver was better than most, but had his flashes. Tremaine Edmonds was picking the incomplete gaps because the defensive line was getting blown up so bad that Tremaine Edmonds didn't know where he was supposed to go. The linebacker's ability to plug gaps is based on the defensive line's ability to hold theirs. And so Tremaine Edmonds, Matt Milano was out of position a couple times. Micah, Micah Hyde was out of position a couple on times. The big, on the big run, Hyde it, chose the wrong gap. And it was... It was really not, Milano put him in a bad position on that, and it was just, it was a complete failure, and I know that's not what you want to hear. What you want to hear is, there's this one guy, and if we just fix this thing, we're going to be fine, but it's not that simple. So, so, okay, so let's take a step back on this then. So there was multiple things that were going wrong. Is the, did it all come down to this? That you've got four guys typically on the line of scrimmage on the defense who are whose job is to hold gaps, plug gaps, penetrate, whatever their responsibility is. It sounds like the way you're describing it, if if two or more of those guys lose their battle, then it's a lost cause for Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano. And then if if it's a lost cause for them because two or more of the defensive linemen are screwed, then you put Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde in an incredibly compromised position because now they're trying, they're almost playing the lottery. They have to pick one of three opportunities that the, that the, the running back or whoever is going to choose. And if you pick the wrong one, then you give up a 65 yard run. The Eagles have an elite interior offensive line and the bills do not have an elite interior defensive line. So when they were losing on the plays where they were losing or they were at least the offensive line was getting the better of them, then you have to have the linebacker has to, you know, somehow read the tea leaves, not even just be able to, like, make the read of what they see in front of them, but make a decision almost, you know, with um, ESP or something. And then if that doesn't happen, then the, the... Multiply that by two or three, and that's what the safety has to do in order for you to have a three-yard or a four-yard stop. Tremaine Edmonds didn't play well, but he was also put in really bad positions 
by the defensive line. If I were to somehow narrow this down, I'd say this was a defensive line failure. This is the Eagles resetting the line of scrimmage a yard down the field and with the appropriate avenues to run through. The right side of that Eagles offensive line, Jason Kelsey, Brandon Brooks, Lane Johnson, absolutely collapsed the Bills defensive line. And it was it was ugly. It was really ugly. Now, the good news is not everybody has that elite offensive line the way the Eagles do on that side. So so it's not it's not necessarily the case that every team can look at the tape and replicate what the Eagles did. No, but they can replicate what the Dolphins did because the Dolphins do not have an elite interior offensive line, do not have an elite right side of the line, and they didn't cause the Bills the same issue that the Eagles did, but they did the same things to a smaller degree of success. I think your chances of seeing the Bills get whooped like that again are rare, but your chances of seeing the Bills struggle with it the way they did against Miami is fairly strong. And this is, I'm just trying to deduce everything you're saying, that is because the interior defensive line of our uh, defense needs help. And Trent Murphy is not the guy. Sorry. Yeah. If you're a Trent Murphy stand out there, I, I don't How's Daryl Johnson looking? Fine. He looks fine. Um, for a seventh round guy, probably better than uh, fine. Yeah. For a seventh round guy, you kidding me? He's a rotational player in the NFL. I'm good with it. I, I think that you can make an argument that Shaq Lawson should be starting instead of Trent Murphy, but I don't think they want to move Shaq Lawson off of the right side of the defensive line. Yeah. I think they want to keep him spelling Jerry Hughes. So is there anything to be done? We didn't make a trade. We've talked about that already. There is no new help. There's no cavalry coming to the interior. Kyle Pecco, Starla Tulele, Jordan Phillips, Ed Oliver. That's it. That's the guys. Those are the guys who are going to be in there. The, I mean, the other option, the only thing I can think of is is Lorenzo Alexander, but he can't do it play in, play out. Well, you got Vincent Taylor on the practice squad, too, so you could bring him up. But The idea that he's going to be significantly beyond what Kyle Pecco has given you is probably unlikely. Unlikely, yeah. I think that it falls under the do something sort of yeah, a right yeah. uh, sort of a task. I think that really what this boils down to is I think that there are technique issues that cause you to get flushed from your gap. And I think that perhaps the Bills defensive line was trying really hard to get sacks and in their hope of penetration opened themselves up to getting flushed. Yeah. And I think that when you look at someone like Jordan Phillips, right, who has gotten the sacks, and that's great, but if if the only thing you're looking at is sacks, then you're going to think Jordan Phillips is, you know, an all-star, He's, you know, top of the league well, for I mean, defensive tackle sacks. When you're voting for the Pro Bowl, they only show you like three sack, three categories of statistics that you vote off of. And that's, so. Jordan Phillips is a perfectly fine player, but Ed Oliver has been markedly outperforming Jordan Phillips and has one sack on a wide receiver. Sacks don't tell the story. Jordan Phillips is also gets really, really, really high out of his stance and gets sometimes gets flushed down the line. And so there are technique things that you're going to have to work on with these people. Say, so look at this thing on film. This is the reason why. This is where teaching comes into play. Why did I get flushed down? 
at, at, at this point in these players' careers, now Ed Oliver, I would say, and, and maybe Daryl Johnson too, and younger guys, I'm sure that there is progress to be made. When you're talking about Starla Tulele, and you're talking about Trent Murphy, and you're talking about, I don't know, at, at, toss in Jordan Phillips, since he's a guy who you have a little bit of a bone to pick technically with. What is the expectation that you would have just for yourself, not even us, but like for yourself, do you imagine that the needle on those are going to get moved at all? I think Jordan Phillips can be, can be, get moved. I think he's still a young enough player that he can get, get moved there for Starla Tulele. A lot of times just reminders of getting in. You sometimes you get into bad habits. I don't think that this idea that vets, because you've been in the league a long time, you can't improve is necessarily a thing. You can't improve markedly, but you can get out of bad habits. Oh man, you know, Unless I stay on top of this coaching, sometimes I, I, you know, I have this bad habit that sort of creeps up on me a little bit. And that's something that even the most tenured people, you see it in our jobs every single day. You know, some of the people who, who do our jobs for a living, they, you know, if they don't stay on top of specific things, bad habits can kind of creep in to it. It's, it's, it's true with my job. I'm assuming it's true with your job. But that is... Something that is also true for defensive linemen. And I think that coaching can make a difference. I think when Leslie Frazier says, I think we have it fixed, I truly think he believes that. And that he believes that, hey, you know, really what happened was we got a little we got a little desperate to get some pressure on the quarterback. And we started to do some things, get a little loose with some technique things in the hopes of getting more explosion. You know, Jordan Phillips was trying to time the snap a couple times and ended up turning himself sideways to get through a, you know, get through a gap and then he gets flushed out or things like that. And I think there's benefits that can be made, but that's really the only hope you have because you're not going to change the whole scheme at this point and there's no personnel help coming. You're not going to start running with, you know, five or six down linemen you're not going to you're not going to adjust now i will say this one of the things that has been creeping into my consciousness is maybe they shouldn't rotate the way that they do because that's something that is not necessarily commonplace across the nfl now people do it i'm not saying it's not common but i'm saying it's not like a hard fast rule that we absolutely have to rotate uh, as much as we do so let's just pick on kyle pecco and i'm not saying this is true i'm just for example let's say you have a crafty quarterback Okay, you and Kyle Pecko's on the field, and you know that he can be had. Change the change the run every play to go at him, right? I mean, that's that's that is a thing that if you don't try to limit your weaknesses in some way, shape, or form, that a crafty quarterback can just try to take advantage of you the whole way down the field. Yeah, and I understand why the idea that you know. Fatigue can flush you out of run gaps just as easily as bad technique can. And I understand that. But I wouldn't be opposed to seeing Shaq Lawson, Jerry Hughes, Ed Oliver, Starla Tulele more. That group see a little bit more and have other groups seen less. Yeah. Okay. You want to talk about Dable or Allen first? Dable's probably like the like the kind of like yeah. Like let's talk about Allen. To let's talk Dable. about Dable. Yeah, okay. let's talk about Dable. Okay, go ahead and talk about Dable. I have been someone who has been somewhat of an apologist, I think, for Dable thus far this year, um, and I think it's fair to be critical of him in this game for a couple of different reasons. I, I think that coming out in twenty-two personnel and running the ball into nine-man boxes, I think, is unwise, and that's what we did for you know two straight drives we came out there with you know 
two tight end, a fullback, and and Frank Gore. And we said, well, we're just going to punch you in the face. And we, I talked about this on Twitter a little bit before the game, but you know, Jim Schwartz's scheme is about being plus one in the box. So it it doesn't matter that they were weak at linebacker. They're they're just they have too many bodies. You have to not run into unfavorable numbers. And the fact that either Dable didn't care or he didn't want Josh Allen to to audible out of it, or he didn't let Josh Allen audible out of it, or Josh Allen saw it, had the ability to audible out of it, and chose not to, we don't know. But the fact of the matter is, it ultimately falls on Dable to not run the ball into unfavorable numbers. And that's what we were doing for the first two drives of the game. Now, to his credit, we stopped doing that after two drives. We went to a little bit more spread look. We started running some zone read, and that ended up getting us some 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 wins. Then we went back and we did 21 personnel and we got some we got some good rips with Gore. So I think he should be commended for making the adjustment. But ideally you wouldn't have had to make the adjustment. It's a little bit like the Josh Allen thing. If he gets us into a hole and then he comes back in the fourth quarter, you know, we should praise him for the fourth quarter, but we should also criticize him for getting us in the hole. It's the same thing with Brian Dable. We should be happy that he adjusted. We should be critical of the fact that he needed to adjust. Yeah. What about the Singletary usage? Usage is a strange thing because you don't know what plays were called. You don't know if we called specific pass plays to Singletary and were just covered up. So the fact that he got more touches, the fact that he got more snaps and didn't get more touches is really an important note because we need to separate, I want Singletary to get more touches from I want Singletary to get more snaps. Because there's a big difference there. What do you think about, I mean, Gore has been so satisfactory, maybe above satisfactory at between the tackles runs. What do you think about giving some of that to Singletary in an effort just to get him touches more often in general? No. If it's broke, don't fix it. I don't think that giving Singletary touches should be at the expense of the thing that's going really well for your offense, which is Frank Gore between the tackles. I think in reality, what we should be doing is using Devin Singletary to accommodate for the fact that we do not have a number one alpha wide receiver. So, for example, we brought in Robert Foster and we activated him, but we took one deep shot to him. And that was unfortunate, but that that took out Isaiah McKenzie. So all those plays that could have gone to Isaiah McKenzie with the jet sweeps and the things like that, we could have run that to Devin Singletary. I understand he doesn't have the speed that Isaiah McKenzie does, but he has good vision and contact balance in the open field, and we can do that. You don't have to. I know our screen game is absolutely atrocious, but it doesn't have to be a screen. It can be a swing. You know, it could be a quick swing to Devin Singletary to get him out in space and do those things. I think that with the lack of a, you know what? We have this guy, and when worse comes to worse, I'm just going to throw it up to this guy, and he's going to make a play. With the lack of that guy, you should be seeing more things that are manufactured for the people who you do have who can make plays. And I think that's where the very fair criticism of Dable for not getting Singletary involved comes from. I'll tell you one thing, though. You can't just throw him on more snaps and call it a day. It's not that simple. You have to design things for Devin Singletary. Devin Singletary is not Frank Gore in pass protection. He's not Frank Gore in running between the tackles. He's not Frank Gore with a trap run. He's. It, it, I don't think more Singletary touch, touches should come at the expense 
of Frank Gore. I think it should come with some scheming around the fact that may if you're not going to use Robert Foster, right? That's okay. I'm you know all right. I, I disagree with the idea, but then let's use those plays to scheme some things for Devin Singletary. If you not if you don't have a true alpha one wide receiver and you're not scheming the ball for him, then scheme the ball for other things. When you have playmakers, you find ways to manufacture touches because you know that each one of those touches has a chance to be a play. That's what they that's why you call them playmakers. Yeah, it's kind of like I remember Percy Harvin when he was when he was young and he was in Seattle and Minnesota. He was a guy that you had to watch. You could line them up anywhere, but you had to watch where he was because he was just so dangerous with the ball in his hand. I'm not at all equating Isaiah McKenzie or Robert Foster, Andre Roberts, or Devin Singletary to that kind of talent. But those kinds of plays exist. I mean, the, the, the offensive coordinators have them, you know, and if you want to try to force the issue and, and give that player the opportunity, just... I mean, run some of those. I mean, there's there's dozens of them, and you can you can manipulate them. You know that you can change the direction and all of that stuff and the formation in order to hopefully, you know, generate some some space for the player. But it just hasn't been a priority for Brian Dable to point. I mentioned before the draft that you don't have to season a running back for a year. We don't have to bring Devin Singletary along really, really, really slowly because that's inefficient use of resources for a running back that is under the assumption that you're not going to constantly ask him to do things he's not good at so i don't want devin singletary to be back there as josh allen's personal protector that i'm not interested in that but i think that sometimes offensive coordinators can get a little bit cute when it comes to deception and what that means well you know if every time I put Devin Singletary on the field, at no point does he block, you know, that's going to cause a problem for my offense. Yes, that's true. But is he a playmaker or is he not a playmaker? I understand that he he you're limiting the vast array of things you can do when you put him on the field. I get that. He Devin Singletary can't do everything, especially not at the professional level that Frank Gore can. But he can also get you plays. And when you have an offense that is meh, I think playmakers are kind of what you need, and we have one. And so I think it's reasonable for people to be frustrated this week at Brian Dable. Let's see how he responds. But I don't think this week is evidence that we screwed it up, we should fire. I mean, hashtag fire Dable was going around Twitter. I think that might be a little hasty. I think there's fair fair to criticize him this week for those things. But let's see how he responds. So... Matt Fairburn and Joe Biscaglia said on their podcast, I cannot remember which one of them was who said this. I told this to Matt Perino yesterday on the um, Instagram Live, too, that I did with him. But they made the comment that criticizing play calling is often it feels very results based. And that's just not the smartest way to, you know, talk about whether or not um, an offensive coordinator is doing well, because Yes, of course, the results are the ultimate thing that matters, but there are so, so many variables that impact whether or not the result you get is the result desired, that to evaluate them only on that with no context is is rather uh, unwise. The offensive coordinator is an easy target, super easy target because of that, because he's the one who calls every single play and also because it's very abstract. 
you know, the, based on what you said, it's a results-based concept and it's also very abstract. It's, well, you know, and call something different. Okay, well, what do you call different? Well, I don't know. Call this play. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, what kind of coverage was it? Well, I mean, I don't know. What was the personnel grouping? Well, I mean, I don't know. Just do, it, 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 it reeks of do something, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, and of course, yes. I'm not saying that, that, that Brian Dable shouldn't take some criticism for it because he absolutely should. But, and he will admit that. He, he did admit that. It's about proportion. It's sure. about proportion. It's about of, proportion. Yeah. And I think that Fire Dable is unbelievably hasty, and I think that you can't say that and then also say you want continuity around Josh Allen to help him develop. And I cannot stress to you enough how much firing an offensive coordinator in season would mess with yeah. the with the improvement that you've seen from Josh Allen. Yeah. Speaking of Allen, speaking of Allen, let's go ahead and talk about him. My biggest thing with Josh Allen is we're still missing the deep ball. Now, at the same time, in the windiest conditions he's played in, what are you going to do? I mean, that Robert Foster pass, it looked like it hit a brick wall, you know, when it was um, when it was 15 feet in the air coming on its way down. So in a, in a dome, I guess we just don't know that I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. I don't know if you feel terribly different or not. But the deep ball wasn't there, and it wasn't tried. I don't think very much after that. After that fell, you know, to the ground. I don't like you talk about Dable again. I don't really like the designed runs to the quantity that we're doing them. Um, I, I'm not opposed to them occasionally, but sometimes I feel like that was what we were do. I, I I got the impression we were doing that because it was one of the only things that was working. And if that's the only thing that's working, you got to find something else. You can't just subject Josh Allen to hits over and over and over again. My my take on that. What were your other impressions, or if you want to comment on those about Josh Allen's performance? Josh Allen has a ball security problem, and we need to talk about it. Yeah, well, that's again another reason why I don't think he should be a guy that you're you're milking the cow, so to speak, for designed runs using him in that way. I don't think Josh Allen is the natural runner that people think he is. I think Josh Allen's a natural athlete. But there's a big difference between being a natural athlete and a natural runner. Natural runners, you know, predict contact. They have good contact balance. They have, you know, the good. They have really good vision. They position their body. They position their bodies yeah. correctly. They shield the ball. They switch hands. Josh Allen is an extremely talented athlete. Um, the fact that someone his size moves the way he does is nothing short of staggering to me. Um, our uh, our compadres on the blitzed podcast on buffalo Rumbling said that he 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 runs like a fast giraffe is what they said <laughs> which i just i literally snorted in the car when i was listening to it you know I mean, imagine if ben roethlisberger with that was athletic right i mean that's kind of what you have with josh allen as far as just overall build and that is you know that is it's a rare and i understand why you run the qb power sweep you do it because you're trying to beat numbers in the same way that putting plus one in the box helps you beat numbers for Jim Schwartz, that play helps you have kind of negate any sort of numbers advantage that they have. And the goal isn't to get, you know, 70 yards. The goal is to get five and you're automatically running him toward the sidelines, which means he has a chance of running out of bounds and you were running him away from his bad side. Josh Allen has a tendency to only carry the ball in his right arm, which means running him to his left is bad. So ideally you're in you're in short yardage. OK, you're having numbers problems. 
and you're running Josh Allen away from potential contact toward his best side. I get the play call. If you don't see the logic in the play call, I don't know what to tell you. What happened was our offensive line got blown the F up and Josh Allen fumbled the ball. So it's a results-based thing. Now, are we going to that well a little bit too often? Maybe. We do it in goal line. We do it in short yardage. There is a tendency for Brian Dable to go to that play in goal line short yardage. Um, You know, two-point conversion kind of play. So I understand that. But it'd be really nice to have that play just, just take Josh Allen off the field. And go do that play with Devin Singletary. I understand that there's no threat of pass at that point. But, you know, you can you can put him wide left and run right, and you can negate some of your numbers problems at that point because someone has to account for him. So if you're worried about the numbers thing, you know, run it out of the wildcat. I understand that. But there are some concerns regarding Allen's ball security. And this was a half step back for him. It wasn't a full step back. He didn't throw any ridiculous passes. He specifically has shown growth over the last three games in not making moronic throws, yeah. which is good. We just need the not making moronic throws to be paired with more positive throws. We, we've we cut the floor out. We just need the ceiling now. Yep, I, I agree. Let's we're, we're going long in the tooth on this pod, so let's go ahead and make a shift here to the Redskins game. This is a game that I think people... <laughs> Similar to the Dolphins, oh, we, you know, it'd be really nice to rebound and have something, uh, have something that you know, kind of, you know, help you help you transition back in. Well, good news, good news, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> the Washington Redskins are coming to New Era Field. They're not a good team. Dwayne Haskins, I believe, now is their quarterback. Maybe we, we may, still we, don't know. We still yet. don't know. Okay, so you know, Jay Gruden's been fired. They're you know, they've got Bill Callahan from. Oakland Raiders fame, right? Mm-hmm. That was the last time he was a head coach that I remember. Um, took over after John Gruden went to, after John Gruden left, Bill Callahan took over in Oakland, right? Very famously called his team the dumbest team in America. It went over as you would expect it to yeah, go over. Yeah, didn't go well. Didn't go well. So, um, an offensive mind, an offensive minded head coach. A running offensive-minded head coach. Okay. Very important to make that distinction. Okay. Bill Callahan draws a direct correlative line between rushing attempts and winning. Okay. Well, let's go ahead. Give us a, give us a quick breakdown on the Redskins, and I'll pepper you with questions with things that, that are of interest. You are going to see so much Adrian Peterson. Uh, with what, what's with he got left? Enough. That's not good. Yeah. He <laughs> ab- that doesn't he, actually sound great. He absolutely <laughs> has enough left. I I am I am unreasonably more concerned about this game than I would have been two weeks ago after our with the weaknesses in our run defensive started to show because Bill Callahan will absolutely run the ball 30 times a game. He'll he'll do it. He'll run it down your throat. And Adrian Peterson is the type of player, I saw a wonderful clip, I was watching some, some Redskins film, and Case Keenum tried to check out of a play and Adrian Peterson wouldn't let him. It was the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Case Keenum was like, kill, kill, kill. And he looks back and Adrian Peterson's like, no, not kill. Give me the damn ball. <laughs> Well, some... I just laughed unreasonably hard. Yeah, AP was. I mean, he's a. I mean, he was great. He was. He was great. He still has enough to really cause problems. Yeah. Um, and I think we're going to see a heavy dose of him. And if the problems from last week aren't fixed, the Redskins can absolutely steal one from the Bills. 
This idea that the Bills are going to go in there and they're going to blow them out because last week was a fluke. Did you watch the Dolphins game? Because after two weeks, I don't think it's a fluke. I think it's a trend. What's what's your confidence level that Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott can address it? I am 40% sure they can do it. Oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> uh, Okay. Okay. All right. We'll keep going. About and the reason I'm 40% sure they can do it is because I think it's largely a personnel issue. Okay. All right. What's your confidence level that Brandon Bean can fix it in the offseason? Oh, um, 65%. I think that a investment in the front seven reminiscent of our investment in the offensive line this past offseason might be necessary. I, and that's one of the things that's really interesting. I, you know, hey, we have a really run bad run defense. We're not getting any pressure on the passer oh by the way i also want to re-sign shaq lawson and jordan phillips this offseason i can see the jordan phillips i can't see shaq lawson i don't i don't understand yeah. i i don't i don't i don't get it you can't say we're having problems on the defensive line let's re-sign the backups let's re-sign two of the four yeah right i don't i don't understand like do you really think that just trent murphy and star if you fix Trent Murphy and Star, the whole thing's going to be fine. Like I, Jordan Phillips is part of the problem. Yeah, I, I still, I still like anybody who can generate pressure interior wise, and I, so I have a soft spot for Jordan um, on that on that count. Shaq, I'm fine with moving on. Trent Murphy, I'm fine with moving on. Star, I'm fine with moving on. Here's a hot take: I don't think any of those people are going to be a bill next year. Even Star? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine with that. I mean, I, I still. I would be a little disappointed if we didn't get Jordan Phillips, but I, I can live with it. It just depends on what we bring in instead. I think someone will offer Jordan Phillips a very significant starting three technique contract, and I don't think we could or should match it. Well, I guess I forgot that he's going to hit the market no matter what. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess we could sign him before he hits the market, before free agency starts. You could, but the reason he took a one-year deal this past year is so he wouldn't have to do If he was going to do a long-term deal, he would have done it last year. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So, um, they're going to run at us. Do they have anything in the passing game that we should be concerned about? Yeah, Terry McLaurin is real. Terry McLaurin is absolutely real. He was one of my favorite receivers. A uh, friend of the pod, Aaron Quinn from Cover One, and I share a mutual love for scary Terry McLaurin. And that's not just because he's a Buckeye, guys, and I'm a Buckeye homer. It's not just that because of that. But you can the receipts are there from draft season. You can go back and look at my, I said Terry McLaurin directly into my veins. I flat out said it. Uh, he was one of my draft crushes. Debo Samuel was one of my draft crushes. You know, they were, I thought this was a great wide receiver draft class. I had a lot that I really liked. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, I really liked a lot. And he went to the Eagles. And Debo Samuel went to the 49ers. And we got none of them. So... Who went to the Texans, or the Titans? Uh, A.J. Brown. I liked A.J. Brown a lot. Yeah, me too. And I was not nearly as high on D.K. Metcalf. D.K. Metcalf was outside my top five, as was as was Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin, I think, was wide receiver six for me, and D.K. Metcalf was, I think, seven. But it doesn't mean I didn't like him. It just means I had other people ranked higher. I really liked Kelvin Harmon, who was a Redskin, ironically enough. So they have weapons in the passing game. Tredavious White's going to get a shot at a really good receiver. Terry McLaurin is a very smooth route runner. He doesn't lose a lot of explosiveness in and out of his breaks. He sells everything perfectly. Part of being a football player is being a good actor, and that's part of what playing receiver is like. And selling these double moves, giving a split second longer and turning your head inside is a big difference. 
That's a big difference in allowing the receiver to wait for the defensive back to commit to a move before busting out the double. And that's something you'll see from Terry McLaurin. So I, I, I think I'm worried about Terry McLaurin on double moves deep because I've specifically been been talking about Tredavious White being beat with deep speed this whole year. Terry McLaurin is the most capable receiver that we've seen yet who can also do that. Any issues with Levi Wallace you're worried about on Sunday? Not particularly. Levi Wallace got got big boyed a little bit against the Dolphins and you when you're when you're that when you're that big, I don't know what you expect. I mean, he's not big enough to box out big receivers. I, I don't think you can really hold Levi Wallace accountable for that. That that's that is a weakness that the offense or the defensive coaching staff has chosen to put on the field. Right. Yeah, there's just not much you can do about that. Levi Wallace is, you know, 176 pounds soaking wet. He's not He's not going to be the kind of guy who can consistently outmuscle, you know, Jalen Ramsey, a smaller receiver, or match up toe to toe with an AJ Green. That's just not who he is. He's also, I mean, how quickly people forget last year. I mean, goodness gracious, are we forgetting what life was like without Levi Wallace opposite Tredavious White and going through the likes of Philip Gaines and Ryan Lewis? You and I were were talking about this outside of the pod for a long time about how much that second cornerback spot really concerned me. And Levi Wallace is not a an all-pro caliber player, but he's not the reason why the defense is struggling. I think that we're just lashing out at people at that point. Yeah. Redskins defense. Ryan Kerrigan is a problem. If Ryan Kerrigan comes up against Cody Ford, we didn't talk... We didn't talk about Cody Ford this week. Don't misunderstand that just because we didn't talk about it, that means he was good. He, he wasn't good. Just because he didn't get blown by with a sack really easily, this game does not mean he was good. Cody Ford is still not the guy at right tackle. Things have gone quiet a little bit with Cody Ford at right tackle because we have other things we want to yell about, but that doesn't mean he was good. He didn't get as embarrassed. But I still haven't seen anything that indicates that Cody Ford's the answer at right tackle. When what, he left and Ty Nsecki came in, Ty Nsecki was better, again. What we need from Cody Ford at right tackle is to show that he uses his length, doesn't overstep, doesn't overcommit one way or another, and can mirror, right? He Dancing bear. And, Absolutely. And, and that's what we... He may not get... He may, you know, not completely get embarrassed by his man, but you're also not seeing those things that you really need to see for him to be the guy. Correct. Absolutely correct. Well, and I'm if you line Ryan Kerrigan up against Cody Ford, I'm concerned. I'm very concerned. That's part of the defense. Josh Norman doesn't have it anymore. I'm not he doesn't scare me at all. Um I truly believe that well, John he was, he was hurt last week, right? He came in like emergency quote unquote. Yeah. So if he lines up against our Beasley or John Brown, I'm not concerned. John Brown low key is one of the best free agent acquisitions of the offseason. Not by any team, not the Bills. And I'm not really concerned about that. I am concerned about Ryan Kerrigan on their defense. Offensive game plan, if you were Dable. I mean, you're going to write the article, so don't give me everything. But what what, what do you think we ought to do if we're going to try to put up points and beat this team? What I think needs to happen is I think this is not the game to go 22 personnel and try and smack him in the face. If the Redskins have a strength, it is their front seven. It is Montez Sweat. It is... Ryan Kerrigan is the interior defensive line. I think that this should be running out of spread looks. I want to see Brown Beasley on the field 
a lot. And I want to see a game plan very reminiscent of what we saw against the Jets week one. I want to see spread the 17 straight pass. plays. I want to see 17 straight short pass plays to take advantage of the fact that Jets corners are terrible and the Redskins have similar strengths and similar weaknesses to the Jets. And that's what I want to see. What I want to see is I want to see Cole Beasley, John Brown, Isaiah McKenzie, Devin Singletary. I want to see these players on the field. I want to see them get them on the edge against Washington's defensive backs and and let playmakers get out of, outside the box and make plays. Big picture, feeling confident or not confident? I'm not feeling confident, no. Oh, man. No, I'm not feeling confident. Um, because the Bills haven't had a resounding win all game all year. So I don't have anything to emotionally tie myself to yeah, if we that get, goes, if we could just do that again. Yeah. It's not like we if we wipe the floor with the Dolphins, you'd be like, okay, here's a similarly struggling yes. opponent. We should be able to wipe the floor with them as well. We didn't do that. Yeah. Well, the article will be out Friday. Always. Friday morning. Crumbling their cookies. Not a euphemism. It means taking your opponent's cookies and crumbling it instead of letting them eat it. Because that's the way the cookie crumbles, because I'm Bruce Nolan. There you go. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. We would love to hear what you think of the show. Please head over to iTunes and check it out and leave us a five-star review and tell us what you think. Make sure you mention NNN or Nick and Nolan in the pod, uh, in the review, so that we can shout you out next pod. As always, I'm Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. I am so much Bruce Nolan, and you can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. Also MC Blowhard. Also MC Blowhard. You have a passport that's an MC Blowhard whenever you're traveling, like, uh, you know, incognito. I got to, dude, I got to keep my, I got to keep my anonymity. It's very important to me. Yeah. I'm, uh, I, I might be on, uh, I might be on Instagram Live with Matt Perino this week. We're I working on that. some stuff, and I'm thinking about wearing a mask. <laughs> I'm thinking about wearing a mask. I need a Billy the Buffalo mask or something that I can wear on Instagram Live. It'll be a good, it'll be a running joke. I'm fine with my anonymity being a running joke for us. I'm cool with it. As long as you guys are cool with it, I'm cool with it. All right. Well, we only have one other thing we want to tell you, and that's this. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha.